Welcome to How I Lawyer, a podcast where I talk to attorneys from throughout the profession about what they do, why they do it, and how they do it well. I'm your host, Jonah Perlin, a law professor in Washington, D.C. This episode is sponsored, edited, and engineered by my friends at Law Pods. Law Pods is a professional podcast production company focused solely on attorney podcasting. I absolutely love working with them, and if you're considering becoming a legal podcaster or just want to learn more, check them out at lawpods.com. And now, let's get started. Hello, and welcome back. In today's special episode recorded live at ClioCon, I spoke with Clio founder and CEO Jack Newton. Although not a lawyer himself, Jack is a technologist and entrepreneur who's long been at the forefront of cloud-based legal technology and who is recognized as one of the profession's foremost experts on security, ethics, and privacy issues related to the lawyer's use of cloud computing. He's also the author of the book, The Client-Centered Law Firm, dedicated to helping law firms thrive in an experience-driven era. Jack holds a BS and MS in computer science from the University of Alberta, Go Golden Bears and Pandas, and here's my conversation with Jack. So first of all, thanks so much for being here, Jack. I'm so excited to chat with you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, So look, I would love to hear just briefly a little bit of your backstory, right? So I know you founded Clio back in 2008. This is the 10th ClioCon. Congratulations. Fantastic conference. Thank you. Massive. It's, yeah, been a blast. And just tell me about like what you were thinking when you started Clio and is it different than what it is today? Right. Oh, well, it is definitely different. Um, but I'll, yeah, I'll give you the, the backstory, the origin story for Cleo. So may, maybe just to, you know, clarify and start with my background. Please, yeah. Uh, a lot of people incorrectly assume that I'm a lawyer. Right. I'm not. I'm a computer science guy. I'm a uh, master's in computer science specializing in machine learning. And when I, so I consider myself a technologist. Right. And, you know, really what, what happened is I, my first job out of school after finishing my master's degree, I was working at a, a life sciences company and doing, uh, it was a startup company, a mm-hmm. spin out from the University of Alberta. And I, I kind of fell in love with startups and building things. Got it. And I read a really influential book uh, to me at the time called Hackers and pa- Painters okay. by Paul Graham. And in Hackers and Painters, Paul Graham talks about the idea that you, know, you don't need to go work for Microsoft or IBM or, you know, today it would be Google or, or Amazon. Right. You, you can start your own company and build your own thing. And if you're a software developer, uh, the message he, he gave was really empowering and energizing. And, and so this kind of started a, a bit of a, uh, an itch for me where I, I was looking for uh, a business to start a, a product that I could build sure. for, for some specialized application. And I was pretty agnostic about what that industry would be. Got it. So and you were focused on the... I want to build something build that solves real problems using technology, using technology, computers. and using my you know own own two bare hands at Love least it. on a keyboard and, and build something. And you know, so in two thousand and seven, you know, I'd say that the the opportunity for Clio started to to coalesce from a few different directions. Mm-hmm. One. Uh, the cloud and the transformative impact that the cloud was going to have on every industry right. started to become pretty clear to me. Right. And, you know, this was 2007, just to kind of set the, 
set the context, you know, this was before the iPhone was released. This was, you know, a very different technological time. The, sure. the cloud was here, but we didn't, we didn't even call it the cloud at that point. It was like <laughs> right. web apps and right, right, right. application service providers, if, right. if you're old enough to remember any of that. Um, ASPs. Yeah, right. And, totally. and uh, you know, so what was clear to me, though, is this, this model for computing was going to revolutionize everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, I reached out to my uh, childhood best friend, Ryan Govro, who we'd, we'd grown up together. We knew, we've known each other since we were eight. He'd since moved from our hometown, which was Edmonton, Alberta, and moved out to Vancouver, where he was working as the, the IT manager at one of Canada's largest law firms, Gowling. Nice. Got it. And, you know, I was saying, like, this cloud thing, this is a once-in-a-lifetime wave right. that we could catch. It's going to disrupt every industry what should we go and right. run after? And he said, well, I'm working at this law firm and the way they use technology is pretty broken. Yeah. And maybe this is an opportunity. And then that led to a conversation with the director of practice standards mm-hmm. at the Law Society of British Columbia. And he's responsible for disciplining lawyers that right. screw up, basically. Yeah. You know, if you mishandle trust accounts. Yeah, if you, absolutely. If you don't communicate with your clients effectively. He's the guy who needs to do anything from, you know, slapping you on the wrist to disbarring you sure. as, as a consequence. And what he told us that was really eye-opening is that it's the solo and small firm lawyers huh. that he has all the problems with. Mm-hmm. He said, the, the lawyers that are in my membership that are at the big firms, right. I do not have to deal with. They don't screw up. Right. And, and we, we asked why. We kind of pulled up the thread. Yeah. And, and the reasons are kind of obvious, right? right. Like they've got big staff. Right. Helping support they them. They don't screw up because they have people in exactly. the firm to prevent them from screwing they, up. They've got paralegals to, right. to catch. IT you know, There's five people that are going to yeah, catch sure. that ball before it hits the floor. Whereas the solos and small firms, they're just, you know, they're on their own and there's, they're, they're not, you, they don't have the human infrastructure to support them. Right. So the, the next question we asked is, well, why don't they use technology then? Yeah. It look, there's these, at the time, you know, at least two dozen practice management systems sure. on the marketplace. There's... PC law, time matters, abacus, amicus, you name it. Lots of solutions. Why don't they use any of these? And he said, they're just, they're hard to use. Mm -hmm. They're expensive. You need a server. You need an IT guy. And the user interface sucks. It's just hard to use. So this was the light bulb moment for Clio where Ryan and I said, well, we were, we described ourselves at that time as two hammers looking for a nail. Right. I was going to say law found you. Yeah, that's right. right. More than you found law. And then I, you know, I I started looking at the industry and I was, I was surprised by a few things. One, when he talked to us about the solo small firm uh, malpractice issues, you know, the, the light bulb went off, but then we said, well, how big could this market be? This sounds really niche. And what we were surprised to learn is that 80% of lawyers practice in firms of 10 lawyers or less. Right. And a full half of all lawyers practice as solos. So again, my my perception of the legal market at that time was right. framed by like shows like Suits. You right, know, exactly. Like, you it's Harvey Specter working in a big fancy downtown yeah, office exactly. in a five hundred person law firm. Right. And I was really surprised to learn just how SMB or, or small to medium sized business yep. or even micro SMB the legal space is. And and that was actually really energizing because we could really say like, well, the cloud mm-hmm. is going to democratize technology access. I love that. It's, it's going to level the playing field right. for solos and small firms. And if we do a good job of this, solos and small firms will actually have better technology at their disposal than the lawyers at the big firms with these antiquated but expensive uh, IT systems, the, the big iron that right. they've got at some of these some of these big firms. So that was the That's pretty that good. was the origin story for Clio and, and, and we 
We launched it at ABA Tech Show in 2008, and we struck a nerve and have just been riding that wave uh, ever since. Sure. And, and here, I, I think you asked the question, is it different than, than it was now? I mean, yeah. when, we, when we launched Clio, it was literally just me and Ryan. So I've, I've met some customers from 2008 yeah, right. over this conference that have been with, with us since the beginning. And he said, I, one of these customers said, I remember talking to you on the phone on a tech support. Right. <laughs> I was <laughs> right. like, well, you yeah, when you, when you phoned us at that time, right. it was either me or Ryan picking up the phone. That. I love that. And now we're a 900-person company. Fantastic. Uh, and, and the most widely used cloud-based software and legal, which is pretty wild. Fantastic. So two follow-ups to that. The first is, you know, most of my listeners are law students and junior lawyers. And the great part about coming into the profession, right, is that you can sort of be on the bleeding edge. Right. And if you're not, right, then you're just participating in the, That's in right. the challenges. That's right. And what is your recommendation to those folks? Because I know you all spend a lot of time thinking about not where we are, but where we're going what what should someone who's interested in using technology in their practice but literally hasn't even maybe sat for the bar yet, yeah. what should they be thinking about? So I'm going to sound self-promotional. Okay. Go, go read my book, The Client-Centered Law Firm, and think about how you develop a law practice from the ground up, solving client problems, and be completely innovative in how you think about how you do that. Everything from how you price and package your services, to how you deliver your, your work product to your clients, to how you acquire your clients. How are you acquiring them? And, and by the way, all of this needs to be online. You need to be thinking, what is my online strategy? How am I capturing clients online? How am I moving my entire client journey into the cloud? Right. How am I pricing and packaging my services in a way that it is something that the average consumer can understand and isn't, the, isn't a billable hour model? Right. And and so start with a clean sheet of paper, start with my book and maybe a few other resources to educate you on the business of law. Because you come out of law school, right. understanding the practice of law and what most law schools, and it's not universal, but sure. most law schools do a really poor job of teaching you anything about the business of law. Right. How do you get out and use a practice management system to bill your clients? How do you get paid? How do you manage your trust accounts? Right. So you're not, and it's a hard, look, it's, I mean, as a full-time law professor, it's hard to teach students that. It's very hard. Different there, students there needs have different be, needs. There so needs to be a separate course. There, right. need, there needs to be a curriculum for it. It's not right. something that's just the, the sidebar right. on, you know, uh, understanding tort law. Right. You know, like and, it, I'll, and I'll shout out to professors who are trying to like, and there are write the textbooks and, and set up. I mean, that's the hard part with starting a class, right? You need an infrastructure, you need a syllabus, you need a textbook. But you're absolutely right. We're in very early innings and that being part that's right. of legal and what, education. And to that point, it, it, what's been really um, awesome for me to see is I, I've actually had some professors reach out to me and say, I want to use your textbook in yes, my class right. or my, my book as, as, a, as a resource sure. in my class, which is, which is really cool to see. But I, I want now just to compare and contrast what I just recommended there mm -hmm. with what most law students do is they, they come on and they say, well, I need to learn the ropes. I'm going to go work in a law firm, mm -hmm. you know, with a, with a, 55, 65-year-old lawyer and learn how they do everything. Right. And then someday I'll be able to replicate that and go on my own. And that's one of the reasons I think that legal is perceived as slow moving mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, because when you're, when you're kind of, you know, apprenticing under somebody right. that's doing things in an point. old yeah. and antiquated way, you're just going to replicate their old and antiquated mindset. You're going to go learn how the billable hour model works right. and you're going to go do exactly the same thing and your invoices are going to look exactly the right. same. And, you know, it's, it's, it's why we have, I think, so, such a hard time sure. 
reinventing how the profession works because there is this apprenticeship model mm -hmm. and this this tendency to embrace the status quo a bit too aggressively. Right. And and to go back to a message from my keynote from yesterday, yeah. you know, reject the status quo, make your mark, think about how you can reinvent things. Things do not need to work the way they do in many cases. Yeah, there's there's a few regulations and other considerations you need to be Absolutely. aware of. Yeah, for sure. But they are not as restrictive as most lawyers mm -hmm. think they are. There's Got nothing it. saying you need to use the billable hour. There's nothing saying you can't price and package your services in really innovative ways that meet your clients where they are. So that's my, my number one recommendation. I love it. Just start with a blank sheet of paper and be innovative. Yeah, and I think, right, it's, it's as with all advice, right, you have to sort of triangulate. I tell my students that all the time, right? You need to get <clears throat> that experience and make sure you're meeting people but also at the same time, not falling into the old traps. And I think, you know, your computer science background and, and product building background, like sings through that answer. And, and I think about it as a, a product problem, right. you know, product market fit problem, right. which, exactly. is, which is, I think the right way to look at it. When you look, the other way to frame the opportunity is 77% of legal issues go unresolved by lawyers today. Right. So there's this massive latent legal market. And it's interesting because you talk to most lawyers and they think about, the legal market and the legal opportunities out there as a bit of a zero-sum game. There's a bankruptcy case and either I'm going to win that or you're going to win that and it, it's, it's zero-sum. Mm -hmm. But what we don't think about is if you're a divorce lawyer, for example, and innovators like Aaron Levine and Hello Divorce have done yeah. a good job of illustrating just what a big opportunity this is, if you think about how do I tap into that latent market of people that need a divorce, want a divorce, but can't afford a traditional divorce that costs $18,000 right. to, to get done. Is there room for uh, a no contest divorce that's more affordable, technology enabled, right. costs less than $1,000? It's basically the thesis she started Hello Divorce with, and she's thriving. The lawyers that work for her are making more money than they were under the old traditional model right. of doing divorces. She's increasing, uh, the, she's making the legal outcomes for her clients better than they would have been. Right. They're more affordable for her clients. And she's in, improving access to justice because these are all people that sure. wouldn't have been able to get the legal outcome they wanted previously. So there's all sorts of opportunities. The other thing I'd encourage your, your listeners to, to think about is go after this latent legal market. It's, it's a massive untapped opportunity. The, I think about it as an iceberg. The tip of the iceberg right now is what lawyers are servicing. Mm -hmm. That's a $500 billion a year industry in the U.S. alone. Right. But then if you just do the math and say, hey, there's 77% of that, that opportunity to below the waterline. Right. That's, that's a trillion dollar plus opportunity that lawyers can be thinking about in terms of how do I price and package my services in a way mm -hmm. that is more innovative and and enabling me to tap into this massive, massive latent legal market. Got it. And I guess the other follow-up is, you know, it's clear to me what role technologists are going to have in this chain in this future. Right. I want to know what role lawyers are going to have in this future. What role, what, what value add lawyer who, are, if you're a lawyer and you're listening to this and you're at a big firm and you say, I want to do things differently. Yeah. But you're not a technologist. What can you do to be part of this movement? You, so it's a great question. And you don't need to be a technologist to do this. You, you, you need to embrace design thinking. Mm -hmm. You need to think about things in, in innovative ways. You need to kind of take off your lawyer hat that's, <laughs> right. that's saying everything's got to be based on precedent and everything's got to be based on status quo. And you need to, you need to 
go through the process of designing solutions for, for clients. And I, I just think a powerful way of reframing how the lawyers think about their work is, you know, I'll give you the, the example of a, a wills and estates lawyer. You know, a lot of lawyers think when somebody comes into my office and asks for a will, they're asking for a piece of paper mm -hmm. that they go, go put in a safe deposit box to forget about, you know, for years. When you really try to build empathy for what your clients are coming to you for, though, and, and by the way, the way most lawyers will structure that transaction, it is a transaction. Pay me $1,000 for this sure. will. I'll give you a piece of paper. I'll send you on your way. Right. And maybe, I'll probably, maybe I'll help you notarize it. I'll, I'll help you notarize it. Right. I'll, I'll maybe keep a copy of it in my office for you. Right. And I'll send you off on your way and probably never reach out to you again. That's how most lawyers work. That's the current status quo. What I would encourage in the innovative lawyers, that again, has... has literally almost nothing to do with technology is reframe the way you think about what you're doing. You're solving somebody's problem. Um, Seth Godin spoke at ClioCon a couple of years ago and he said, nobody ever woke up with a billable hour problem. <laughs> they, they, they wake up with life problems that yeah. they need support with. When you build empathy with your, your clients, what you realize is when I come into your office asking for a will, I'm not asking for a piece of paper. I'm asking for peace of mind. I want to know that my family is going to be taken care of if I pass away unexpectedly. Right. And when you reframe and just kind of think about this is the problem I'm solving. Right. How can you do that? How can you be innovative in the way you're delivering services? Well, you start to realize this isn't a transaction. This is a lifelong engagement that mm -hmm. this customer is asking me for help with. Right. They want peace of mind forever. They want peace of mind if their life circumstances change. So... Instead of $1,000 or $500 for a piece of paper, why don't we think about wills as a subscription service? Why don't we think of wills as something that you, you pay me $50 a year right. for? And I will, for included in that $50 a year, or maybe it's $100 a year. Whatever it is. Yeah. Whatever it is, I will update your will anytime your life circumstances change. Sure. You, you get married, you have kids, you get divorced, you move states, whatever yeah. the case might be. All the things that would require an update to your will. I will update that for you and I'll make sure that you are always taken care of. That's the peace of mind. And what's really cool about that, again, it's like the hello divorce example. What's really cool about that is you actually improve access to justice. There's a lot more people that can afford $100 a year than $1,000 up front. It's a better outcome for the lawyer because right. they've got a cash flow now. Right. And the lifetime value of that customer, let's just say it's a... Uh, $100 a month for 30 years, that's $3,000 right. that that customer is paying me over that time rather than $1,000 up front. Right. And they have an ongoing relationship. And there's an ongoing relationship. Sure. I'm checking in with them every year. Right. They say, right. hey, I just bought a house. Can you help me with that? And there, there's, there's, and just think about how powerful that is. And literally, you know, every lawyer I've ever dealt with for a will personally yeah. has given me a will, a piece of paper, and never talked, right. never reached out to me again. If I'm going to interact with them again, I need to reach out to them and ask them to update the will. Right. So build empathy. Think about what problem you're solving. Mm -hmm. Think about how you actually provide a long-term solution to that problem. And that just becomes the game changer. That's where you can start running a, a wills and estates practice that is different than the guy across the street. Right. You're, not, you're not competing on whether your will's 700 bucks or 800 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, you're winning because you've got a better product and right. you're solving their underlying problem and they will tell their friends about that. Right. Well, and, and, you know, maybe my last piece, well, I, I don't know if it's my last piece of advice, but one more piece of advice just related to that yep. as, as you're building that law practice or if you're that, that big firm lawyer thinking about jumping ship and hanging your own shingle, yeah. think about how you create 
low friction, really positive customer experiences and, and solve these underlying problems that your clients have really well and think about your reviews and ratings online. Hmm. And what, one of the, the key findings in this year's Legal Trends Report is your preference for a lawyer is dom like the lawyer you'll hire is strongly dominated by how positive their online reviews are. Huh. Which, e which shouldn't surprise else. us, right? Well, which shouldn't surprise us, but if, again, if you look at most lawyer websites, right. <laughs> you know, it's, here's my 800 number, right. here's my bio, here's how I was, you know, honors in undergrad and mm -hmm. magnum cum laude in yeah. law school and right. all, what law school I went to. That's and true. That's all this true. stuff that like is kind of the social proof they think clients care about. Right. Clients don't. Right. They don't. They don't care about any of that. They right. want to, they want to, you need to be, they want to know if you're responsive and they want to know if you have positive online reviews. And by the way, you'll get positive online reviews by being responsive. Right. So it's just these things, you know, again, it, it's, it's amazing. We see amazing lawyers that do a horrible job of doing basic things like phoning back clients when they, when they call them. You know, we, we did a, t a secret shop of law firms a few years ago in the LTR and, and emailed them and called them posing as, as qualified leads for them. Yeah. And, and over half the law firms we reached out to didn't email us back and didn't phone us back. Huh. So the state of affairs, the other thing I'll emphasize is the bar is pretty low out there. You, you don't need to be all <laughs> that good at responsiveness or anything. Like if you just invest in being really great at that, you will be in the top huh. decile of the profession. Right. If, if you figure out a way that, you know, the bar is like, you need to phone your clients back in minutes. You know, they inquire on your website, get on top of them, call them back in a matter of, sure. of minutes, not hours, not days, right. not never. It's a service industry, but sometimes we forget that. That's right. And, you know, the other thing that's so interesting is I think we don't center clients enough in legal education as well. And that's one of the things that I think sort of more progressive law professors are thinking about is it's not about, you know, it was this a battery. It's about tell me what happened and I'll tell you what, what the next step that's is. Right. It's like, you know, the example I give my students is like, you're an ER doctor. People come in and they don't say, I fractured my tibia in three places. They say, my leg really hurts. How can you fix it? Exactly. And that's a shift that I think is really, really important. And one that I think, and I don't, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it is interesting to me that you're so focused on client as customer, right? Almost right. those words like kind of are interchangeable. It, that's whereas right. I think lawyers think of client in a very narrow ethical sense, which obviously we have that duty, but we need to think a little broader. That, that's right. And, and they're not mutually exclusive. Right. You, you, you have a duty to, to the client and to drive certain outcomes for them and have certain responsibilities to them. But I think a lot of lawyers miss the c connection you just made, which is every one of your clients is a consumer. Mm -hmm. And whether they're a business client or an uh, 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 individual client, their expectations as a consumer are being reshaped by all the day-to-day -day interactions they have with technology. Hmm. They're using Amazon, Uber, Netflix, you name it. Right. They're, they're used to instant responsiveness. They're used to seamless consumer experiences. So, you know, I, I think about the, the consumerization of legal in, as being a real trend where... Mm -hmm. That these consumer expectations are reshaping how they think they should be interacting with their lawyer. You know, they want to be able to text message their lawyer. Right. They want to be able to use a smartphone app to communicate securely with their lawyers and, and in real time right. and and 
they want to jump on a Zoom call rather than come to your office. So sure. you know, like it, it's a, and you can you can adapt your practice to to meet these consumer expectations and still do an amazing job of fulfilling your duties to them as a client. Right. I love that. And I guess my last question for you is like, what is the problem? What's the next problem on the horizon? What's the problem you haven't solved and no one solved? And we need to like be thinking big in sort of this, whatever I loved you yesterday in your keynote, you had kind of a Venn diagram of the anti-fragile law firm where it had connection, creativity, and technology. Like what's the problem somewhere on that diagram that doesn't keep you up at night, but it, but it excites you about the future. I, I think it would go back to the latent legal market and the challenges we have in helping connect the 77% of people with legal issues that did not see those resolved by lawyers. So there's still, and this is, this is a problem, you know, I'll probably work the rest of my professional career trying sure. to solve and we'll make progress on, but won't solve because it's such a big problem. Right. But those 77% of individuals, their, their challenges are everything from, I can't afford legal services, or I'm scared of lawyers and, and don't want to interact with them, right. all the way to, I don't actually even understand I've got a legal problem. Right. I'm being evicted from my apartment, and I don't understand that I have legal rights that my landlord cannot impugn. Right. And that, how do we help that consumer understand what Google search are they doing? Right. For example, saying, you know, I'm being evicted, what do I do? Um, how can we get in that flow and, and surface the fact that you have a legal issue, you have a problem right. that happens to be a legal issue, and there's lawyers that can help solve that problem. And how can we connect that consumer demand and, and the, the challenge they're having with lawyers that are embracing technology yeah and able to deliver solutions to those clients. So to me, the, 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 big, the big problem that, that I'm excited about continuing to iterate and work on is how do we move more of the legal universe into the cloud, mm-hmm. more lawyers into the cloud where they can work more effectively, more efficiently in a distributed way from lower cost centers yep. and have a more efficient business model to deliver affordable legal services. By the way, this doesn't mean they, they, they make less money Right. You know, as, as, as Aaron, that, that, that's a leap a lot of lawyers incorrectly make. That right. You can deliver accessible and affordable legal services without making less money. You're, you're increasing the volume of legal transactions you're doing. You can do that thanks to the fact that you've got technology supporting you. And then how can we better connect consumers that have these legal problems with lawyers that can help them solve them? And, and really start to, you know, if we can open up that latent legal market. Yeah and say, we're, we're doing a lot better than just solving 23% of the legal issues out there. Mm-hmm. To me, that's, that's a, a great mission to be pursuing for the next decade plus. Yeah, and that's, you know, having done at this point 90 plus interviews with lawyers from across the profession, big and small, something I hear a lot when I ask about, you know, there's this fear that like technology is gonna eat lawyers' business. Right. And I mean, I talked to uh, a top partner in capital markets at a big law firm in New York City, and he said, technology allows me to do transactions at a speed that I never could have imagined when I started 20 years ago. Technology is not taking my job, it's making my job different, but it's not taking my job. Exactly, and that's such a a common fear that we need to do everything we can to dissuade lawyers of that notion. Yep. Technology can help you. Yep. It can open up new market opportunities for you. 
Mark Britton did a fantastic presentation yesterday talking about the legal pyramid and how you can use technology and even forms as kind of the base layer of your practice where mm -hmm. you're, you're helping uh, clients with really transactional problems and you're moving them up the value chain over time and helping them uh, solve very basic problems very affordably. But for the clients that have more sophisticated issues, sure. let them kind of walk up that value chain mm -hmm. and, and toward bespoke legal advice, right. which you can do a great job of delivering, but that's not every client. And how do you broaden your business model with technology to solve more problems? Right. Again, you know, for just thinking about why, and if lawyers, most lawyers remind themselves of why they went into law school, hmm. they, they want to solve people's problems and they want to have as much impact as possible. Right. So we, we shouldn't be precious about, mm -hmm. you know, f trying to fend off technology as something that's going to take work away. Again, you know, it's, it's that zero sum mentality. That's exactly right. where you're saying, you know, the, it's going to take something away. Sure. Instead of thinking about it like, man, we're, we're barely making a dent in this, in this legal problem universe. We're yeah. only solving 23% of the problems out there. How do we do more? How do we do more? That's fantastic. I mean, it reminds me of a great quote from uh, Adlai Stevenson, you know, the famous American politician who spoke at a college once, a graduation speech, and he said, when you leave, remember why you came. That's, and, a, that's a great. And, and that's the message that I think you're sharing and, and I'm sharing with my students. Let lawyers identify problems and be part of the solution. And we can work with people who have expertise in other areas to help us do that in ethical ways. That's right. In power, in, you know, uh, power ways of power that actually impact that's right clients customers our profession so jack this has been great thank you so much for yeah doing it was my this pleasure and thanks for bringing me here to cleo to interview interesting lawyers and technologists doing interesting yeah. things well thank you uh it was great talking to, with, with you and enjoy uh enjoy the rest of cleocon awesome thanks so much bye-bye thank you again i am jonah perlin and this is the how i lawyer podcast thanks to podcast sponsor law pods for their expert editing if you're a lawyer considering starting your own podcast, definitely check them out at lawpods.com. And thanks to you for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, I hope you'll consider sharing it with friends and colleagues or on social media. And of course, if you haven't already done so, please sign up for the email list at howilawyer.com or subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. As always, if you have comments, suggestions, or ideas for the show, please reach out to me at howilawyer at gmail.com or at Jonah Perlin on Twitter. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.